All right, we are back, folks. This week's episode of The Detroiter, the premier outlet, the premier comedic-driven outlet for Detroit sports. For the Or no, sports in the Mitten State and the Motor City. That's the catchphrase. I got to get that shit down. Anyways, we're back. We're back. Pretty solid week. Not, a, not an insane amount, nothing super groundbreaking. But there are a few topics this week that I'm excited to get into. Um, a few topics that are going to be near and dear to Detroit fans' hearts. A couple things going down this week. So I'm recording this. Tuesday, August 10th, the Pistons play the Rockets tonight in the Summer League. Huge fucking game, obviously. I mean, not that huge. Summer League, who gives a shit, right? These guys are just kind of learning each other, getting back in the swing of playing basketball, acclimating themselves at a higher level of competition. But for NBA narrative purposes, for the draft purposes, for the spot Detroit found themselves in and the rumors that were swirling around draft time this year, big game. Obviously, Jalen Green with Houston, they took him second overall. The Stones, lucky enough to get the first overall pick, took our Lord and Savior, Cade Cunningham. Huge fucking game tonight. Uh, the Pistons, this is their second. They already played once on Sunday, I want to say it was. So I, I'm excited to talk Pistons. That's one of the leading storylines for sure. Um, first time I've genuinely been excited. Like the first time a Pistons game has been on. Mind you, this shit wasn't even regular season. Like, I'm not even talking, oh, round one of the playoffs. Not a regular season game. A summer league game. Probably the first time I've been excited to the point where it's like, okay, the Pistons play at 830 tonight. I will be in front of my television at 825 fucking ready to rock, ready to lock in, like phone on silent, maybe put it on a table a little bit away from me, locked in the zone. I'm ready to watch some Pistons basketball for the first time, like since I gra- – I don't even know. Like, maybe my life, I don't know, maybe since they played the Cavs in the first round of the playoffs like six years ago, whenever that was. Kind of crazy feeling, to be honest with you, like gearing up and setting a date and looking forward to a Pistons game and a summer league game nonetheless. I can't wait to get into that. Uh, I wrote a blog about this earlier today. Calvin Johnson inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was awesome, awesome on Twitter, seeing all his former teammates and just like legends of the sport talking about Calvin, especially it's cool to see something like that happen for a guy that I watched like my entire life for a guy that was the Detroit lions to a certain extent. I mean, obviously Stafford was huge, great player. We all know how I feel about him, but nationally it's like you kind of, if you weren't from Detroit, you weren't watching them 16 times a year. You think of the lions, like you probably think of Megatron, you, you know, the lions, checkered past the the dog shit tradition and history we have calvin johnson was kind of that one shining light the one redeeming quality the lions had for many years in the nfl landscape in the football landscape a guy like in the detroit sports landscape total that was kind of a flag bear for detroit he went into the hall the speeches were awesome i, I saw one dan orlovsky telling a story about calvin johnson and I don't know. I just want to talk about him for a few minutes. Kind of the so like a day. You know how when you start high school and it's like, oh man, I still remember it. Like going into orientation that first day, and you're sitting there like, damn, this thing's gonna take four years. Like I'm never gonna finish this. Same with college. You get there the first weekend, you move in, and it's like, holy shit. I get to like you go to your buddy's party for welcome week, and you're like, I get to do this for four years the rest, this is the rest of my life. Like I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. I can't wait. Kind of one of those crazy coming of age moments when it all ends and you look back and you're like, holy shit, like that happened. That already happened in my life. I remember when that was like just starting. I remember when that was still going on. I remember thinking those days were never going to end. Kind of the first time I've had that with a Detroit athlete. Obviously we've had the likes of Zetterberg. We've had the likes of Datsuk. But those guys, a lot of them started their career before like my brain worked, before I could store memories. As I've said before, the 2006 uh, ALCS walk-off by Maglio, that's like my first vivid memory, sports memory, where I knew where I was. I, I could tell you exactly what I was doing. Like That's the first one. So a lot of these guys, yes, I remember watching Dotsuk, Zetterberg, Zetterberg, Lidstrom play. But we weren't there for his entire for those guys' entire careers, right? Like, I caught the back end of a lot of those guys' careers, and it was still great, still legends in the city of Detroit, still legends 
for their respective teams. And again, Tigers, same deal. Like Verlander, I remember him. Don't remember his early days. He ended up getting traded to Houston. The first guy in Calvin Johnson that started and finished his career in the span of me, I don't like I don't know what the proper word is for it, but having a memory, like being an aware sports fan. Um, started in Detroit, finished in Detroit. First guy to do that too, that has a legendary career. That is a guy that's gonna be first ballot Hall of Famer. It's wild to sit back and think like, damn, that already happened? Like, I remember Calvin Johnson like it was yesterday. I remember that play against the Bears where they started the whole fucking mess that is the, did he complete the process? Like, I remember the Bengals triple coverage catch. I remember New Orleans double teaming him at the one-yard line. Like, I remember these things happening. And this guy's done. I saw him come and go. Now he's in the Hall of Fame, and you have legends far and wide talking about what he meant to the game, talking about just how dominant he was, how much of a different breed he was. Crazy moment for me. Obviously, I didn't fucking play with Calvin Johnson. I don't know Calvin Johnson. So, you know, I'm not speaking from the same place Dan Orlovsky is, but just as a fan, as a kid who grew up watching that dude, and as a kid who grew up loving the Lions and praying, doing anything I could, fucking wishing night after night that they could figure out and win games and win a playoff game and do great things. It's crazy to think and and to realize and look back like that it that's over. Like this is the first li- athlete of my lifetime that's come and gone and is a legend of the game and not only just a legend and a Hall of Famer but the level of guy who it's like you I'm not going to see a guy like that again. At least I'd be shocked if we did. Most of those other guys you hear, it's like they they may as well be fables. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, like I understand people of that caliber. There have been players in all sports, Wayne Gretzky. They are those guys as well. But like those guys to me, they're storybook characters. I never saw them play. Like I've never been around a team or anything like that with these guys in the league. Like when Bill Simmons talks about those Celtics teams, I'm sitting there like, oh, that's cool. Like Larry Bird almost isn't even a real person. I didn't see him play. I like I wasn't even alive. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a weird feeling that one of these guys now, he's being cemented forever. His legacies will be told forever. And it's a guy that I watched play through my life. Like it's a crazy feeling. It makes me feel old. I'm only 24. And it gives you kind of a appreciation and a sense of not that I think I did it, or at least I tried not to, but the sense of like, wow, as good as Calvin was, as fucking incredible as some of the stuff he did was, it's like, did I still take it for granted? Now looking back, like I was watching his highlight tape the other day, and it's like, this guy, this guy, this guy was on another level. You would have thought this dude was the on the varsity team playing against the freshmen, and this guy was in the NFL playing against some of the greatest athletes on the fucking planet. And he made it look like, oh, I should, like, it shouldn't be allowed that I'm allowed to play with these guys. They need to get on my level. You need to bring me something else. Like, that is a wild thing. So, a little bit of retrospective. I want to get deeper into Calvin later. But let's touch on the, uh, the light topics. We'll do a little MSU recruiting. Mel Tucker, that guy will not give it a rest. And I love it. Another four star wide receiver defensive back, Jaden Mangham from Groves. Shout out, hometown boy. Deciding to go to MSU. Guy looks like a stud. I was watching his tape. Absolute freak at pinpointing balls. He makes some acrobat catches. Um, I know MSU recruited him as a defensive back, so whatever. That's fine. I think he's like 6'3". The dude's lanky as fuck. He's fast. He's an athlete. He can jump. He plays the ball unbelievably well. Wouldn't be surprised if he played wide out. Just like that was the one thing that stood out when I watched his tape. The biggest thing I noticed was like, oh, man, this dude makes some crazy fucking catches. Like, he's making catches. I know he's the best player on his team. He's the Division One guy. I know he's not working with NFL quarterbacks. But this dude's making some catches that, like, college wideouts probably aren't making. So I was a little surprised that he's DB, but nothing wrong with a six foot three safety or cornerback. And, again, Mel Tucker just keeps it rolling, building the momentum. Every week now, it's like something new, another reason to just go even further in unbelieving that Mel's the guy I was talking to one of my friends like the it it might be corny it might be homer of me I don't know whatever the fuck you want to call it 
I don't know how you could be a state fan or be a college football fan just paying attention to the MSU program right now and not believe. Like, it's almost to the point where I'm convincing myself and I'm believing and I'm you're starting to see, not only believe, you're starting to see, like, are they going to do some very special stuff? Obviously, what D'Antonio did, a Rose Bowl, a couple Big Ten titles, that's special. No doubt about it, that's special. I'm talking like I'm starting to get to the point where Mel Tucker, is he going to do something even more? Are we going to be like a couple college football playoffs? It's it's shooting high. It's aiming for the stars. But, hey, if you aim for the stars, maybe you'll fall on the moon or whatever, whatever that expression is. It's getting to the point, though, where I'm starting to the, – the green Kool-Aid has been flowing for a while now. I'm starting to mainline that shit. I'm starting to mainline that shit. Like, I, I'm having a hard time. It's become when Mel Tucker took over. All right, let's see if this guy – let's see if we can get back to the big stage on the Big Ten. Let's see if we can't beat OSU out for a Big Ten appearance. Now it's let's make a college football playoff. Like, let's win something. Let's win a fucking natty, dude. It's been, what, like 50 years, over 50 years? Let's win a goddamn natty. And I have no reason to believe that Mel Tucker can't do it. So that's exciting news. Um, and then we'll do a little Michigan football. I do just want to skim over Tigers and Red Wings. Uh, Tigers kind of slipping. I don't. There's not a ton I want to say about them. Kind of slipping. They had the a couple weeks ago they were on the heater. They've kind of fallen back down to earth, picking up a game, dropping a game, picking up a game, dropping a game. Their season is what it is. It's fun that they're exciting. It's nice. I've said this before, too, talking about this team. Like, it is cool, and it's appreciated. Like, on a Tuesday night, all right, I'll turn the Tigers on. Like, they, there's a 50-50 shot they'll win. They're fun to watch. If my Scooble or Manning's on the mound, I want to watch them pitch regardless. Um, we got some exciting players. Like, I want to see Akil Badu run around. I want to see Jonathan Scope just ripping the baseballs. I do appreciate that. They're a fun team. There's something you can throw on. There's something that you want to throw on. You're not doing shit. You're hanging out. You need something in the background. All right, put on the Tigers. First time in three, four, five years I've wanted to do that. So while they have cooled off a bit, which you kind of expected, I mean, the fact that they're, all, they're what, six games under 500 floating around that 500 mark at all is pretty remarkable this season when you look at, I mean, who the, who the fucking roster is. No offense to the guys, even though – that's obviously extremely offensive. Like it is, it is shocking and it is remarkable, and it should be considered a success that they're even in this position to begin with. They were never going to beat the White Sox. Um, the AL East has like four playoff teams in it, so the wild card never really an option. But it is nice. It is nice that they've kind of they've made themselves enjoyable. They've made themselves doable. Like throwing on the Tigers game, not a crazy thing. Going down to Comerica for a night. All right, fine. Like, maybe we'll see the Tigers win. Last year, you go to Comerica, I promise you the Tigers lose. I promise you the Tigers lose that game. Now it's, hey, let's go see the Tigers maybe win one tonight. So we got to love that. Other than that, though, not much going on. I mean, it's business as usual. The young guys on the mound are still figuring it out. You'd like them to be more, like, getting to the point where every time, I mean, this is asking a lot. They're still all so young and are so inexperienced. You're getting to the point where you'd like when Miser Scooble, especially starting minimum five innings, like maybe two runs, like try to keep it in that area, like something reasonable where they're showing you signs that they can kind of dominate a game. Those guys have been up and down. Um, and then the lineup, they've had a few guys, but again, it's at the end of the day, not enough firepower. It is just Mickey chasing 500 and the 3000 hit mark is all that's, that's it. That's kind of the main story of the Tigers right now. Red Wings news, Jakob Vrana, the absolute stallion that we fleeced off Washington. I still, what was Washington thinking there, guys? What was Washington thinking? Giving away a guy a year younger than Mantha who outperforms Mantha and they're going to toss in a few draft picks for us. I still don't understand why they wanted to do that. I'm so happy that they did. Steve Eiserman, it was announced today, he got the deal done with Jakob. They were headed for arbitration. Three years, five and a quarter AAV for, for Vrana. I will say, I mean, it, it's tough. His sample size with the Wings last year, what did he play, like 15, 20 games maybe, if that. Um, he was great. He was lights out. He was like a point-a-game guy. Far, far and away, 
the highest producer for the, the for the Red Wings, far and away the most electric player for the Red Wings. When he got there, he became the guy who's scoring the goals, who's getting in the high danger areas, who's making shit happen. I, I mean, we kind of that Larkin, like that should be the guy. Zadina, we'd love for that to be the guy. Verona came in, he was that guy. I will say five and a quarter seems, you know, I would say that's on the high end for Verona, if you ask me. But at the same time, what is he, 25, 26? If this guy, if he comes out this year and he holds up that point a game rate, again, small sample size, easier said than done. It's going to be a lot tougher to do over 82. If he comes out and holds up a point a game rate, five and a quarter is an absolute bargain for the Red Wings. That's a marvelous job by Steve Eiserman. Even if he comes out and he's like a 60-point guy, dude, I'll take that all day. 60-point guy on the Red Wings, when's the last time we've had one of those? Like Larkin, maybe, kind of in that neighborhood a couple years ago. Like a 60-point guy on the Red Wings, you may as well be scoring 100. So if he can come out and even do that, I'll be happy. And the term solid. I don't think when Steve Eiserman went to make this deal, I'm not sure what his angle was. I don't know if he was looking to lock Vrana up long-term, like five, six, seven years. I don't know if he wanted him on something shorter, one, two, three, like he got him. Um, I don't know if they made a compromise. But I'd be surprised if Steve went into the deal looking to commit to him long-term, looking to push all his chips in and say, hey, next time we're in the playoffs, when we start to make a couple runs, when we've got all the pieces that I want here, we need this guy to be a part of the team. I'd be surprised if that's the angle Iserman took. I highly doubt it. Um, and I like the three-year deal. I think that's a good chunk of time. If things start to fall off, if if you know someone makes an offer for Verona that Steve simply can't pass up, he's movable. The contract's very movable, and on the term, it's movable. No one's going to be that afraid of being locked up for two or three more years or whenever he may get moved. And for the Red Wings' perspective, we can live with that, even in two years, even in three years. Ideally, the Red Wings, hopefully, I mean – they should be making playoff pushes and appearances in three years. But if things are running a little bit behind, they're not going according to plan. You're not stuck with them. You can move off them if better options in free agency or through trades present themselves. And then at the same time, if he is the best option, now you can renegotiate. If he's fucking cooking, he's putting up 82 points a year, great. Great. We'll give him 9 million bucks. We'll give him 10 million bucks. If he's just dominating, fantastic for us. If he's playing a little bit below, he's only producing 40, 50. All right. We can bring him back if we'd like. We'll give him a little less money. We'll give him whatever, maybe three, four more years, and then we'll call it good. So I like the deal. I mean, I'm happy Vrana's going back. I don't think there was ever really an option that he got moved in this contract year, at least. There was never an option that he got moved for something that didn't blow Iserman's tits off. Like the only way I think you can explain moving off Rana is if it's like, dude, they offered me the fucking house for this guy. I know he was good for us. I know he's still in his prime. I know he's pretty explosive, generates offense, which fucking Lord knows the Red Wings need. But I don't think that was really at the front of Iserman's mind. I don't think at any point he was like, eh, maybe the best option is to move this guy. I think he probably knew the best option, bring him back um, on a maybe shorter deal, kind of see where it goes. Hopefully he keeps producing. If he doesn't, fine, three years, we can live with that and we'll figure it out later. So I like the deal. I like Vrana a lot. Um, his analytics, not that I'm like a huge analytics guy, <laughs> but they hold up well. Watching the games last year, like I said, from the moment he got put in the lineup, like he was the jump guy. He's just wreaking havoc. He's creating offense for himself off the rush, creates offense for others. He's a guy doing what we can't seem to find, which is burying pucks. It feels like we haven't had a dude who just tucks goals in so fucking long. Like you look at Chicago, Patty Kane's unbelievable. He does all kinds of shit, but they get a guy like to where he's great. He's great at offense, passing, playmaking. But like what he does is he puts the puck in the net When's the last time the Red Wings have had a guy like that where it's like, hey, man, you're on the team to score 30 times. That's it. Like, if you only have 10 assists, not great. We'll live with it. Put the puck in the net 30 times. Fucking that's why you're here. When's the last time the Wings have had a guy like that? Like I said, would love, would love for Larkin to be that guy. He's 
probably more of a playmaker. Would love for Zadina to be that guy, and I think he still has the potential. Talked about him a bunch where, you know, he's another guy that always felt like he was around the puck, always felt like, ah, just unlucky. Like he was in the right spot at the right time, just good save or barely missed the net or whatever the case was. He feels like the the guy who he he's just barely off. Like he's right fucking there. So I'm hoping this year he kind of breaks through. And then when we did get Verona, he became that guy. And we need more of them. Lucas Raymond need him to be one of those guys. I mean, that's why they took him. So I'm hoping Verona can keep it up. If he could improve, that would be, I mean, above a point of game player. Are you fucking kidding me with the Red Wings? That concept two years ago would be like, I don't know who you're talking about. Did we get three first overall picks in a row? Who's going to be above a point of game on this squad? So I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad that Iserman has a plan. Iserman's not overly committed. I'm glad that Iserman realizes, hey, maybe, you know, if they were going to go to arbitration, I think Iserman's number was like three and a half. So I'm glad Iserman was like, all right, fuck it. We need the goal scoring. We're desperate. This dude was killing it when we brought him in last year. We'll pay him the five and a quarter. Who gives a fuck? So that's exciting. But that's about it as far as the Red Wings go, I believe. Uh, Maybe a couple other like AHL signings, nothing serious. That said, we got the Tigers. We got the Wings out of the way. Let's do – we'll do a little bit more. I'll go a little bit more in depth on, on Mel Tucker and the recruiting game. Um, and then we'll hit a break. And on the flip of the break, we'll do more Lions. We'll do more Pistons. Um, so Mel talked about it. He, the guy's building. I don't know. I mean, I, I came on here. I It's like I, he was listening to me. It's like I fucking played a part in MSU's recruiting surge lately. Came on here. I don't even know how long. Month, maybe two months ago saying, you know, it's great. It's great that Mel Tucker's getting guys to commit. I know it's been tough. He hasn't had anybody on campus. Um, he's getting dudes from Florida. He's getting dudes from Georgia. He's getting guys from Texas. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome that he's going into these talent-rich states, building connections. And, again, like a three-star in Florida, probably a little bit better than a three-star in Michigan. So that's great. But at some point, he does need to take the next step. At some point, you can't be Mark D'Antonio on the recruiting trail if you're Mel Tucker, if that makes sense. You can't have your whole pitch and your whole sell on how you're going to build MSU up. Be because I'm a lights-out recruiter, because we recruit every day, because we're relentless on the recruiting trail, and then sign the same classes that Mark D'Antonio was signing. No disrespect to D'Antonio, but it's no secret that was his weakness, ended up leading to the downfall. Those last few years, it was just, you look around, it's like, dude, our fucking wide receivers are like, these guys are like division two guys, some of them. You saw the mass exodus at MSU this year. What do we have, like 12, 13, 14 guys transfer out? Half of these dudes are going to like not power five schools. They're going to like Northern Illinois, Toledo, shit like that. That's a telltale sign. That is a telltale sign. You don't want that. What that means is what people were saying. The cupboards were bare. Mel Tucker was working with sub subpar talent, subpar talent compared to like Rutgers. Do you want to talk OSU? Yeah. Sub, sub, sub par talent. So when he was signing and everyone's like, yeah, man, another one from Florida, this Mel Tucker guy's on fire. I was sitting there like, dude, like, it's great. But you like, where, like, where is the big difference? I'm excited. It's cool that he's getting guys to commit and they're not coming on campus. Yes. That's impressive. But where, like, where's the wow factor? Well, I still am struggling to see the difference of, like, oh, this is why we brought Mel Tucker in. And ever since I said that, they got Caden Hauser, the three, four-star uh, QB from the West Coast. They got Antonio Gates Jr., four-star wideout, Alex Van Summeren, four-star defensive tackle, who it was, like, us, Clemson, and, like, Penn State, when MSU. Like, that's not happening with D'Antonio. That's a great fucking sign. And then most recently, four-star Jaden Mangum. Guy had offers from, like, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. He's coming to Michigan State. It's great that we're getting four stars, and I am juiced about that because that's what needed to change. Mel, that's why we brought you in. We brought you in to level up the Michigan State recruiting game. And he's starting to do that. Sure, the class isn't going to be 15 four-star guys, but if you can sprinkle a few in, 
in your second year, and he's only been able to have kids on campus for what three months, two months since the beginning of June, and we we're already sprinkling three, four stars. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. We didn't need this 2022 class to be lights out. We don't need to come right after Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State with the caliber of guys. We don't need to do that right off the bat. But you do need to do it a bit. You need to show that it's there. And, hey, if he doesn't sign another four-star for this class, fine. Be fucking awesome if he did. But I'll live with that because guess what? 2023 is going to come around. Those guys are going to be able to visit MSU all year round. Mel Tucker is going to be able to finally, for the first time in his tenure at MSU, recruit a kid the way he wants to recruit them for the entire cycle. These four stars coming in in 2022 right now, they'll be great. Hopefully they contribute. Hopefully they win Big Ten championships at state. But it's what fires me up is like, oh, oh, he had he's at it for two months and here we go. He's been able to recruit the real deal like for two months and we already got a couple four stars, a couple borderline three fours. Oh, okay. So, well, what's he about to do when he can do that shit for an entire year? Two months and he's doing it. What about a year, bro? That, that is what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm looking. Oh, you got 20 commits in 2023. 10 of them are four stars. Like that is what we got to get to. That's what I'm expecting out of Mel. Maybe not quite that much, but like I'm starting to be like, dude, we got a, the in-state talent. We got to snatch up some of the top 10 guys, which he has. We got three of the top five now. Like out of the top 10 Michigan kids, Mel, it's like you you should have at least like three, four of those guys every cycle. Every single cycle. We work Ohio a bit, work Georgia a bit. Like we got to start piling up four stars. Only way you're going to uh, compete with Ohio State. Only way you're going to compete with Penn State, you bring in talent that equals theirs. You bring in a guy who you say, hey, man, I don't need to be the best coach in the world because you're just better than him, and I convinced you to play at Michigan State. I'm juiced up for Mel, though. The four-star barrage, especially these guys I mentioned, dude's picking them over Clemson, over Alabama, over Oklahoma. This Mangum kid, the most recent one, he was a lock to go to West Virginia like a week and a half ago. The latest commitment said, oh, uh, Hold on, uh, give me one more week. Now he's coming to Michigan State. Mark D'Antonio's not pulling that. He's not. I'm sorry. Best coach in school history, he's not pulling that. He's just not. That guy says, I, I'm, I'm looking at West Virginia coach. D'Antonio says, all right, we'll see ya. Mel Tucker, I don't give a fuck what you're looking at. What Michigan State's right here. We're going to do special stuff. You live an hour away. Stop pussyfooting around. Come to Michigan State. And I fucking love it. It's what we need. It's why we hired them. It's what Michigan State needs. And the most exciting part of it is it's what Michigan State's capable of. Like, the more this rolls on, the more I think about Mel, the more you look at what he's doing, I can't help but think, like, why not? Why can't Mich- or why can't Mel Tucker make MSU a powerhouse? You know how to sell MSU. Mel Tucker clearly feels a way about MSU. He's been there before. He talks about it like it's one of the most special places in the world, which it is. If you've been there, you know it is. And you know what it's capable of with the fan base, the alumni, the amount of money and resources that they potentially have if things start moving in the right direction. I can't help but think, why not MSU? I know the school isn't in the South. I know we have winter and the snow fucking blows. I get that. I know our school isn't in LA. We're not USC. Okay. There is something to be said about MSU. There's a culture there. There's a feeling and an energy in that place, around that place. Mel Tucker has revitalized the energy in the football room. Why not Michigan State? We string together a decent season this year. That 2023 class continues the upward trend. Why not Michigan State? I Every week that goes by, the more and more I'm like, dude, fucking Big Ten championships. I'm, let's talk about natties. Let's talk about why, why can't Mel bring a natty to MSU? Like, I hate to, to bring Michigan into this, but if I'm a Michigan fan or an MSU fan, it's like you're looking at the programs right now. I know who I'd rather be a fan of. Like, I know who's going in the better direction. It's like we flipped since that last Antonio year. 
I know where I want to be. Mel Tucker's been unreal. The energy around the program, the hype on Twitter, the buzz. It's like I want to be a part of it. All right, quick break. We'll do a little bit of Pistons and a little bit of Megatron. Let's get into Megatron a bit more. I don't have a ton more to say. I kind of glossed over my main points. But yes, I just wanna I just wanna like let it sink in for people out there listening. It's fucking wild. It is wild that we've seen a guy, a legend, come through. Like Barry Sanders, you watch the highlights. Your dad tells you about how good he was. Like he's kind of a fable too. I didn't like I've seen the tape, obviously. I, I'm very aware of how incredible that guy was. But it's like to a certain extent, he's all again not real. He's like a fable. Like King Arthur's round table. I'd imagine it's like the medieval times, like, oh yeah, these guys in Rome, these three hundred dudes, whatever they were, Athenians, I don't even know. What are they in or in uh, three hundred? Or no, Spartans. These three hundred Spartans fend off like a thousand Persians or whatever it is. Like those are all fables. Like, did that happen? Did it? Uh, you hear that in fifteen hundred? You're in Crete and you hear the Spartans beat three hundred to a thousand odds. You're like, wait, what? No chance. That's how Barry Sanders is. That's how a lot of these guys are. These legends. The guys who not only are they great, not only are they Hall of Famers. But the guys who are in that echelon of like, you won't see someone else like them, they almost aren't real. They're like fairy tales. It's wild to sit here and think today that there's a guy that we got to watch that is one of those guys. Like I'm 24. Hopefully I'm around for like 60, 70 more years. I don't know that you wouldn't believe the advances in modern medicine. (laughs) But I'm sitting here thinking I'm not going to see another guy like Calvin Johnson. I'm going to watch football for 60 more years. I might not see a guy ever like him again. And in the times, like, you you acknowledged how great he was. It was fucking impossible to ignore. The guy was doing ridiculous shit. Lions were calling plays that are like, yeah, I know he's triple covered. Throw him the ball. I didn't ask you if he's triple covered. I told you to throw him the ball. Like, yeah, you, you understood the greatness. You look at the guy standing next to a cornerback, and he's a foot taller than him. Stafford's just jacking it up. An entire defense is around the guy, and he comes down with it. Yeah, you can kind of tell, oh, man, this Calvin Johnson guy, like, the reason they call him Megatron, like, he's he's pretty fucking good, eh? But even then, you don't realize, like, oh, wait a sec. Not only – wait, this guy's great, but wow, this guy is never going to come around again. Julio Jones, unreal. A.J. Brown, unreal. Michael Thomas, unreal. Some of these guys, D.K. Metcalf, unreal. Freaks, big dudes. They're not Calvin Johnson. None of them. None of them are Calvin Johnson. None of them are Calvin Johnson. We are never going to see a guy like that again. And how lucky we were he got to play in Detroit. How lucky we were. Like I said at the top, like the first time that I've seen a guy, I've been lucky enough. I've been old enough. My brain's been functional enough where I've seen a guy start and end his career and he's one of the best to ever do it, if not the best to ever do it. He's a once-in-a-lifetime player. They talk about, oh, man, Lawrence Taylor, that guy, once-in-a-lifetime. Never had that. Calvin Johnson, once-in-a-lifetime. Once-in-a-fucking-lifetime, and he was a Detroit Lion. Whatever. Oh, he retired early. He hated the Lions. Dude, fuck that. Who cares? I don't I mean, yeah, it'd be great if they were all merry and friends and he played five more years. The dude's body was falling apart. He made his money. He kind of looked around and was like, oh, we're just never going to win here. This organization's a joke. Yeah, I don't really blame him, to be honest with you. I don't really blame him. When my ankle's halfway on my body every season and I'm working for an organization that's bringing in fucking clowns to coach me or clowns to be the general manager, okay, yeah, maybe I will hang him up early too. Can't blame him. In his Hall of Fame speech, he talked about the city. He talked about the fans, talked about how it's its home, how he embraced them, how he loves it, loved it, all that good stuff. Like, he paid his respects. He loves Detroit. He said Detroit's his home now. He's going to live here. His kids are going to live here. The fans embraced him. He loved playing for the fans. The Lions organization can't deny that they're a joke. Historically, I mean – 
it's tough to not say present day. Like the Dan Campbell hiring seems great. Brad Holmes seems great. Sheila Ford, I know she just took over last year. Seems like she's more determined to win. Seems like she has a better grasp on how to go about doing so. Seems like she's better with people. She has a better feel for adequate leadership for people who like, hey, if we're going to be great, I need to find people who are also great. Seems like she's got a better feel for that than Martha at Corpse did. I still don't understand how long we let on. Like, how does that happen? Like, oh, this lady doesn't remember anything. Yeah, let's have her run the Lions. Like, I get she's older. I get it's her grandpa or whoever was Henry Ford. Like, okay, we're the Lions. Let's. That's where it starts. It starts at the top. It starts at the top. Someone there's got to realize, hey, Martha, you're probably not the best to run the team. If you do ever want to become, um, I don't know, not a fucking joke, you're probably not the best to do this. Maybe try Sheila. She's about 30 years younger than you. She actually gets out of bed in the morning and her brain functions. If you want to not be a complete fucking waste of time and money as an NFL team, yeah, let's let Sheila run it for a couple of years. See how that goes. I don't blame Calvin for feeling that way about the Lions, and then they didn't pay him when he did retire. Like, how can you? It is what it is. You can't argue. I love the Lions. They're my favorite team on earth. I'd do anything, maybe not anything, but I would do a lot for them to win a Super Bowl. Like, they're a joke. They're they're historically and up to the hiring of Dan Campbell have been a joke. There's no other way around it. Yeah, they've had a couple good seasons. Yeah, they've had a couple good players. There's a reason Barry Sanders retired early. It's a reason Calvin Johnson retired early. The reason Matt Stafford just wanted to get traded is because he's played football for 12 years, and he said, oh, I'd like a chance to win. He was here for 12 years. Didn't feel like it was ever going to work out. Like, how can you blame these guys? Yeah, you play football for 12 years. You made all the money on earth. Your body's falling apart. You start playing football because you like to win. Yeah, I'd like to win too, guys. I don't blame you. So congratulations on that sour-ass note (laughs) to Calvin Johnson, legend of the game. Watch his highlight tape this week. If you got a free 10 minutes, go on YouTube. There's a video. It's like top 50 plays of his career. Like the dude is, if you somehow forgot, if you need a little refresher, unlike anything I've ever seen, unlike anything I've ever seen, truly, truly gave you the impression, oh, this kid, it's an 18-year-old playing with 15-year-olds. This guy's playing in the fucking NFL, making it seem like, oh, you're going to guard me with this dude? Two-time Pro Bowler, this is the fucking clown you're going to put on me? Like, it was just too easy legend of the game crazy like life moment life in perspective moment an all-time great a once in a lifetime athlete come and gone congrats to calvin congrats to megatron unbelievable all right this is the piece de resistance what i've been meaning to sink my teeth into honestly since sunday night since i watched this fucking game and of course now tuesday night this is going to come out after the game against the Rockets and Jalen Green, the Detroit Basketball Pistons. Watched him play last night. Cade, first appearance in the red, white, and blue. My God, does that guy look sharp. My God, does that guy look sharp. Um, Lost, no doubt. Lost, no doubt. But I don't want to talk about wins and losses, and I'm going to talk about the game t- tonight, yesterday, I guess, against Houston. I don't really give a fuck about winning and losing. Like, yeah, I'd like them to win, who obviously, I mean, that's should go without saying. But at the same time, like, we're playing that Spencer Littleson dude quite a bit. Like, Luca Garza, whose feet are permanently in muds playing a bunch. Like, the summer league, these guys aren't going out. The coaching staff, the game plan isn't win at all costs. The game plan is let's mess around with the lineups. Let's get these guys comfortable playing together. Let's try Cade with some different things. Let's try him on ball. Let's try him off ball. Let's try these bigs on the floor together. Let's try this guy with this guy. Like, it's experimental. It's getting used to it. It's a feeling out process. We're not in the fucking summer league. You don't win the NBA title in summer league. 
so relax, all the people right now. Because I'm going to be positive. Here comes a, a mouthful of shitty medicine, apparently, for most Pistons fans. If you would have gone on Twitter after that OKC Summer League game, you would have thought, like, you would have thought Cade Cunningham got the ball stripped from him 50 times and they lost 100 to zero. Like, yeah, actually, you would have thought. You would have thought Killian Hayes was blind and didn't play defense. Like, that's how – Pistons Twitter, I've recently gotten into it because, again, as I've said a billion times, I don't know how anyone's given a fuck about the Pistons until we got this number one – well, until the last draft class, really. People just so negative about everything. It's like they want to be negative. I'm sitting here like, dude, we just got the number one pick. Um, by all accounts, this dude's going to be a stud. He's joining three rookies, Stewart's out with the foot. He's joining three rookies, well, now sophomores, that were good to great. Maybe not Killian so much. He was hurt. But Sadiq, great. Stu, real good. Saban Lee, kind of a pleasant surprise. Like, he's joining guys that are a good foundation. Jeremy Grant's still there. He's not dead. He's alive. He's really good. He was just won a gold medal. And everyone wants to be so negative about it. It's the first time this guy's ever played in any form of NBA competition. Mind you, with guys who he's also probably just met in the last three days. Who he's also never played live with. Who he's only practiced with when they're also, I mean, like NBA guys. I would assume practice isn't fucking balls to the wall, guard me your hardest full speed for two hours. Like pump the brakes, Pistons Twitter. Relax a bit. Just watch them play. Watch how they interact. Watch how Cade like leads, how he speaks on the floor. Watch how they play defense. I got to say, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I said it's the first time I've made the Pistons appointment television probably since that Cavs first-round playoff. So what, five, six years? Like, that's fucking pathetic. That in itself, even if you are a Pistons fan who's been just – begrudgingly watching these games for the last four years. Just take a step back and think about that momentarily. How juiced up were you to watch this summer league game against OKC? When's the last time you felt that way about watching a Pistons game? And then your first reaction is going to go out and be, oh man, Cade wasn't as good as we thought. Not as good as advertised. The guy played fucking one time with dudes he's never played with before. Right? And at the same time, if you're Cade Cunningham, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in his brain. I didn't talk to him. But you're a 19, 18, however old he is, kid, coming into the NBA, coming into a franchise that has been also a joke for the last 12 years, coming into a franchise that pretty much all young guys, at least the core players, like as far as important players go, Jeremy Grant's the only one above the age of like 22, 23, right? Like, give him some time. Kate's probably not walking in there like, yeah, I'm the fucking man. Give me the ball and watch me cook. Like, I, he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy, nor do I want him to be that kind of guy. Right? Oh, he only had eight points or ten points, whatever he had. Oh, man, he can't score. Dude, if Cade wanted to, if he wants to go balls to the wall, he probably could. He's probably not sitting there in the fucking team huddles going, hey, Killian, pass me the ball more. Hey, Sadiq, stop shooting those mid-rangers and give it to me. Like, he's just fitting in. He's acclimating. He's get again, it's like the I did the pickup episode on the second string feed the other day. It's like, don't be that guy who comes in and thinks they're the fucking man. Like, yeah, Kate is the man, and he will become the man. There will be a time probably this season where it's like, okay, bend the knee, everybody. Jeremy Grant, that means you too. Bend the knee. That time will come. Trust that, Pistons fans. That time will come. Cade will realize it. The coaching staff will realize it. The other guys on the team will realize it. The time will come where it becomes Cade's squad, where if Cade wants the ball, you give Cade the ball. Cade wants you to set a pick and roll, you do that. The time will come. He played one game with the squad. Yeah, they lost. Yeah, he didn't shoot a crate. Yeah, he played off ball a lot. Fucking relax. I love watching him play, though. I will say the Pistons got out to a huge lead to start. That little run, like the the duration of the first quarter, really, that was that was unreal to watch. That was the most exciting Pistons basketball 
I've fucking maybe ever seen, dude. I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't even know what compares Blake Griffin, the 50 burger against Philly. Is that it? They were so nasty on the defensive end. Everybody's arms are longer than my entire body somehow, which I absolutely love. Everybody is sitting around there. They're acting like they're giving off the energy and effort. Like, yeah, wait a sec. Yeah, maybe we miss a few shots. Maybe whatever. We're not the best. We're going to be fucking a nightmare on defense when we want to be. I love that. That was the biggest thing that jumped out to me. And I thought Killian and Cape were fine together. I know a lot of people were upset because Killian, when they were together, was kind of the primary ball handler. And Cade was more off ball, like a catch and shoot second pass guy. Listen, I get Cade. You want Cade. Like when you take a guy 1-1, unless he's a big, unless he's Anthony Davis, you want him to be the primary ball handler. I 100% understand that. And it makes a ton of sense. I hear you. But one of the beauty parts about Cade, he can play off ball. Yeah, he may not impact the game as much. But at the same time, like I just fucking said, he's only 19. He's in his first game with a bunch of new guys at a new level of competition. Like, Maybe letting him play a little off ball, ease into it, get a feel for the game. That's not the worst thing in the world. That's not the worst thing in the world. He still handled the ball. He should have had like three more assists. That Tyler Cook guy, my God, has he ever caught a pass? My God, why does he even bother rolling if he just drops it every time? There were like three distinct pick and rolls I can remember where Cade makes a nifty little pass and just drops it into him. And I'm sitting there like, oh. Oh, that's why you took Cade Cunningham. Jalen Green doesn't make that pass. That's why you took Cade Cunningham. The ball's in the air. Oh, the nice. It's going to be good pass, Cade. That's going to be a layup or a dunk. Fucking trampoline hands out of bounds. That dude's never caught anything in his life. I don't, I mean, I don't know enough about him. I remember him at Iowa. He was obviously, you know, you're an NBA player. You're probably pretty fucking good in college. I don't understand how he drops literally every ball thrown to him. It's kind of, it's kind of remarkable, to be honest with you. Cade got got screwed out of a handful of assists. And again, he wasn't the guy holding the ball every possession. He wasn't the guy initiating the offense every possession. Got screwed out of a few assists. I thought even though, yeah, he didn't shoot it well, nice to see him stroke a few to start the game. That was electric. His first two shots, just water ball threes. That was unreal. He didn't shoot the greatest from the floor, but at the same time, A, love that he's taking shots, keep shooting, always do. Never, ever get discouraged by missing Cade Cunningham. You're a guy who's allowed to shoot infinite times, okay? B, he still was impacting the game the other ways. He still should have been putting points on the board for the Pistons because of the passes. He was he was just he was shoveling points into people's mouths, and they were dropping fucking passes. Nothing you can do about that. He was still able to impact the game offensively, even though he had a tough night from the floor. And defensively, Exactly what I said at the start. He he was active. He joined in with guys. He was switching. He knew what he was doing. He's talking. He had the steal and the yam. That's why you take a guy like that. All the great players, I feel like this is something I, I'm going to regurgitate from the mouth of Bill Simmons himself. The best players or the guys you want on your team, like you want to be your one guy, they don't just do it one way. Like, Cade Cunningham doesn't need to be hitting his shots to have an impact on the game. All right, he's having a shit night. He can't buy a bucket. All right, he'll rack up a quick, a quick 10 assists, a couple steals, and also the guy he's guarding, he's going to make it a living hell for him. That's a guy you want. He can't score that night. All right, he's always going to be able to pass. Like, his brain's not going to just stop working. He'll always pass, and he'll always be able to play defense. Those are the guys that you want on your team. Those are the guys. That's how you set yourself apart. No disrespect to Jalen Green. That dude's fucking obsessed with Detroit and is obsessed with him not going one. I feel like every time I log on to Twitter, it's like, oh, Jalen Green saying this about Detroit, Jalen Green. That guy has an off night. Is he is he making plays for others? Is he locking up your best player on defense? Is he trying on defense? That guy screams, Mr. If I don't have 30 by the fourth quarter, like, check me out. I'm done. I don't feel like playing anymore. He screams one of those guys. Don't know a ton about him. Screams one of those guys. I mean, he, he seems to be obsessed with Detroit. Um, 
but I don't know how people could like fucking guys on Twitter going, Oh man, Cade, Cade, not as good as advertised. Eh? Dude, one game Killian was on the ball a ton. He missed some shots. Yeah. Should have had a lot more assists. And I thought he was great defensively. That was what was most exciting. I thought everyone was awesome defensively. Same people were bagging on Killian. Oh, he's missing this and that. I thought Killian was awesome on defense. Um, again, same deal. That guy's arms are fucking grossly long. I love it. Um, he, again, had some nice passes initiating the offense. Needs to work on that jump shot, no doubt. I mean, there's going to be a time, like I said, where, hey, sorry, Killian, you're a great passer. You, you're good at initiating the offense, no doubt. There's going to be a time where it's one of two options. All right, Kill, you're going to come off the bench and you'll run the second team or you're going to be able to shoot. That's it. Those are Killian's two options. Um, I don't think he's like a terrible shooter. Uh, he's obviously not lights out. Room for improvement again. That He's like 19 as well, which is always blows my mind when people are ripping on these dudes. It's like, bro, I was pounding Keystone lights in my friend's front yard when I was 19. This guy's shooting, what, 29% from three, and you're raking him over the coals? Like, fucking relax. Plays defense. He showed flashes. He had a few real nice passes. Thought he played well. I like Sadiq. Again, he kind of missed some shots, but he also made some nice ones. Like he he put on a little bit of a display of like, hey, Sadiq, we're all pretty tired. Or, hey, Sadiq, we're not going to run a play. Score. Like go, score, do something. He had a couple nice flashes of that. What I do remember him, the very few Pistons games I watched last year, a lot of his game reminded me <laughs> reminded me of myself <laughs> in pickup where it was like catch and shoot, just open shots, hitting them. It was nice to see him just take a guy off the dribble. He had one where he hit like a fake spin move and then like rolled back and hit a fadeaway. It was clean as fuck. But that was nice to see like Sadiq kind of developing a I'm going to just get a bucket mindset and repertoire. That was nice. Another dude just lanky, knows what he's doing and locked in on defense, disrupting passes, getting in the way, forcing turnovers. I thought he was real good. And honestly – Luka Garza on defense, he will get exposed. He's going to have to figure that out, but he came out to a flaming start. He was seemingly the only guy that got rebounds. He had a few putbacks, knocked down a three. Energy guy, um, it's funny. I fucking hated that guy at Iowa. <laughs> now, now he's with the Pistons, so it's like, hey, I like, I like when this guy's pounding his chest and running like he's trying to break the floor when he's going back on defense. He played well. The defense is... You know, I mean, that guy's like, uh, that guy's like a, uh, if it works out great, if not, okay, whatever it, you know, it is what it is. He's a nice guy. He seems like a nice guy that to have at the end of your bench. Like, even if he doesn't play for the Pistons, seems like a good locker room guy, a good practice guy. You win college basketball player of the year. Like that's got to mean something. Sadiq Bay didn't win that shit. Like that's got to mean something. Not to mention off the floor, like. He was the leader at Iowa. He's probably going to bring some of those same qualities to the Pistons, even if he's not playing. He's going to try to bust guys' asses in practice. You win with those guys. They don't play on game night, but they forge the dudes that do play on game night. I had a lot of fun watching the Pistons Sunday, I got to say. Um, the team, the watching those young guys, like outside of Jeremy Grant, Stu, again, yeah, with his foot, but another young guy, like, we were watching the fucking starting lineup minus Jeremy Grant. Like, we really were. And Kelly, I suppose. But it was fun to watch those guys play together. It was fun to watch Killian and Cade talking to each other while someone's shooting free throws. It's fun to watch Cade directing traffic and pointing the guys getting back on defense. It's fun watching Sadiq Bey hit an and one and pound his chest. Like, I had a good time. I had a good time. It made me way more excited for tonight's game against Houston, and it made me way more excited for the regular season, which haven't been excited for in years. As far as tonight's game against Houston, again, like the people on Twitter, guys, Jalen Green very well may go for 30. He may ball out. I don't know. That would be sick as fuck. I kind of hope the Pistons do. They're just like, Cade, fuck this guy. You've been on Twitter. Fuck this guy. You're going to guard Jalen all night. You guys are going one-on-one. -on -one. May the best man win. I kind of hope that is the case. I would be surprised if it is, though. I assume they'll either put Sadiq or Killian on him. Probably Killian, which any, any of them that they do, I don't mind. I am excited to watch that, though. I'm excited 
I mean, Jalen, he had a great first game. He's the scoring master. He's a walking bucket. You can't stop him. He's instant offense, whatever. I'm excited to see him play against, whether it is Cade, whether it is Killian, whether it is Sadiq. Fucking let's see what you got. Killian's not a slouch. Cade's not a slouch. Sadiq's not a slouch. He drops 20. He drops 30 on one of those guys. All right, fine. Like, I'll take notice to that. I'll shut my mouth, no doubt about it. So I'm excited to see those matchups. And in the same vein, I mean, obviously, I'm excited to see Cade play again. Who the fuck wouldn't be? But if they do go against each other, I'm excited to see Jalen Green's defensive effort level, defensive talent level. He should be juiced up for this. If they say, hey, Jalen, you're guarding Cade tonight, and he doesn't come out locked on defense, that's a worrisome sign if you're Houston. Like, if you're – after you were saying, man, I want to live in Detroit, I should be the number one pick, they're going to regret that, and you get it matched up against the number one pick in a summer league game, and you can't find it in your heart to get excited to play defense, oh, 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 I'd be worried if I was Houston. So I'm excited to watch that. Again, I really hope they match each other up. I don't know if they will, but that would be unreal. Whatever happens, though, can we please not overreact? For all the reasons I stated, like these summer league games, this one should have a little bit more bite to it, seeing as though it is the first pick versus the second pick. Seeing as as it is, I mean, Kay dropped a quote. He's like, yeah, we're like, Jalen's a great player. I know we're playing him, but I'm just trying to learn how to play with my teammates, whatever. Did the like coach speak, oh, just another game type thing. I mean, Cade too. That's great that he says that and he's not acknowledging it and he's locked in, whatever. If if a little bit of Cade isn't more gassed up for this, it's not great. I think it will be. I don't know how it can't be. If Cade comes out the first possession and Jalen Green's guarding him, I hope there's a switch in his head that goes, oh, okay. All right, we're on tonight. Like I'm we're dogging tonight. I'm not taking any possessions off. If I need to get a bucket, I will go get a bucket. Um, if I want the ball, like we'll have the ball in my hands. I hope it, it develops a little bit more of a killer instinct tonight. I hope he wants to be a little more of a killer tonight. We'll see what happens. I'm juiced though. And if he doesn't play well, bro, summer league, even if Cade plays great, it's like, Hey, him tearing up Jalen green, like doesn't mean shit. Like Jalen green, like he's going to see a lot worse than Jalen green. He's going to have a lot more to worry about than Jalen Green. It's a lot tougher playing in actual NBA games where you don't have all first and second year guys. Like, either way, don't overreact. What I, for me, not that I'm any basketball guru, I just want to watch them play exciting basketball, share the ball, find the open man, and I want to see them play defense. This team, the beauty of it, with Cade being so long at the one or at the two, whatever, and Killian, same deal, these guys should have the capability this year that if they all look at each other and say they aren't going to score this possession because we fucking decided they won't, they should be able to make that a reality. They should be able to decide if they feel like letting the other team score. That's what I'm looking for. Share the ball. Uh, obviously, yeah, like I'd love to see Killian hit a three. I'd love to see Cade cross someone up and fucking yam one. Absolutely. But I want to see share the ball. I want to see Cade initiate a little bit more. Just give him the ball. I mean, that's on the coach. Like, just say, Cade, you're running it this time. Let him fucking mice. That's why Luca's gas. You run a pick and roll with Luca. It's either going to be a roll that's open for a lap, Luca at the rim, or an open three. That is why you took Cade. And I want to see them play defense. I'm excited, though. I, I fired up. The matchup's going to be sick. I think there's going to be a lot of hype around it. I think Jalen and Cade are going to come lock the fuck in. I mean, how couldn't you? One versus two. Jalen's been running his mouth nonstop. Detroit's got real estate in his head. Houston fans are acting reckless on Twitter. It's going to be – it's a summer league game, but this is going to feel like a little bit of a regular season. By the time you hear this, the game will be over. Hopefully, Kate had a triple-double with 70 points. If not, who gives a fuck? If he did, great. Who? I mean, also, who gives a fuck? Like, long season, long summer league. Just glad we can watch something exciting as far as Detroit basketball is concerned. That's can't beat that. Can't beat that. Don't take it for granted. Things were dark as fuck like six months ago. All right, folks. That's all I got today. I hope everybody enjoyed. I appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who's been sharing. Like I said, 
this feeds news. So please rate it. Please review it. I know it's like a stupid, tedious thing. Everybody says, and I've said a few times, but it does help out. It takes like two seconds. Please keep spreading the word. Um, I appreciate everyone who supports and listens. Really does mean a lot. At the period Detroiter on Instagram, at next second string on Twitter, and the Detroiter show at gmail.com. Love you guys. I will talk to you next week. Let's go, Cade. We'll